Hey everyone, welcome to Logical Bible Study, and this is the podcast where we do an exegesis of scripture. We really dive into the text to try and understand what it means on the literal level. What's the text saying? What did Jesus mean when he chose certain words? Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus was walking on, he saw a man named Matthew sitting by the customs house, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. While he was at dinner in the house, it happened that a number of tax collectors and sinners came to sit at the table with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? When he heard this, he replied, It is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. Go and learn the meaning of the words. What I want is mercy not sacrifice. And indeed, I did not come to call the virtuous, but sinners. So what's the context here? Jesus has just begun to do various healings in the Galilee region, in the north part of Israel. He's just healed the paralyzed man in Capernaum, and you can read that story on Thursday of week 13 in Ordinary Time. So verse 9, as Jesus was walking on, or passed on from there. So he's walking out of Capernaum now, out of the town that he was just in. And Matthew's version of this event tells us that he goes to walk along the lake shore. So he's walking along the lake and he sees a man named Matthew. Now, in some other places, he's called Levi, son of Alphaeus, but it's the same person, Matthew, the apostle and the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. And this particular reading we have today is read on the Feast of St. Matthew because it's the moment when Matthew first gets called to be an apostle. So Matthew is sitting by the customs house, or more literally, tax office. And if you've seen the TV series The Chosen, you'll see kind of what this looks like when Matthew is standing in his tax office. And it's basically a little stall. And the one in Capernaum was a particularly important tax stall because it's located on a major trade route on the border between Herod Antipas's territory and Philip's territory, and it's in Capernaum. So it's actually quite an important tax office that's in Capernaum. That probably indicates that Matthew was particularly skilled because it's a particularly important tax office. And it's the place where where tolls or taxes were collected from anyone that was passing through the area, as well as where taxes for the locals had to be paid, and particularly taxes associated with fishing, because this is a fishing village, And the Romans made the Jews pay taxes whenever they did certain kinds of fishing. In terms of how much they had to pay, well, we're not entirely sure, but it's estimated that the combined tax on the Jews, if you include the temple tax, Herod's taxes, and additional Roman taxes, probably around a third of the person's income. So not that dissimilar to what we have today in Western society. So you can see why they don't like tax collectors, because they're taking 30% of their income. So Matthew is a tax collector, that's his job. These are Jews who are appointed by the Romans to collect taxes from the Jews. So it's a Jew working for the Romans. Other Jews did not like tax collectors, and that's for four reasons. Firstly, they worked for the Romans, basically, or Herod, more specifically, but by extension, they worked for the Romans, and the Jews don't like the Romans. Secondly, they take people's money, no one likes that. Thirdly, collecting taxes in Galilee would involve frequent contact with Gentiles. So a tax collector was kind of doubly sinful. Not only does he take people's money, but he associates with Gentiles. 
And then the worst kind of tax collectors were known for keeping some of the money for themselves. So for all these reasons, tax collectors were considered to be notorious sinners. The fact that Jesus calls Matthew then a notorious sinner, a notorious tax collector, to be an apostle, it's quite significant. It tells us about God's mercy and the kind of kingdom that Jesus wants to build. So Jesus sees Matthew and he says to him, follow me. Now, even that is significant because in that culture, usually followers would pick the rabbis, not the other way around. But here the rabbi says, follow me. And Matthew gets up and follows him. Now, it's not clear whether Matthew knew who Jesus was, although he probably did because Jesus has been hanging around Galilee for a while. But certainly something about Jesus made Matthew leave his livelihood, just as the fishermen had earlier in the Gospel of Matthew, and he follows Jesus straight away. We get to verse 10, the scene changes. While he was at dinner in the house, so they're reclining, eating food... Now, it's not clear what house they're in. Some of the Gospels seem to indicate that it's Jesus' own house, but other Gospels seem to indicate that it's Matthew's house. And it's not clear either way, because just the word he is used. They're in his house, and that could refer to either Jesus or Matthew. Most likely, it's probably Matthew, because he's holding a fairly big feast here, and Matthew is probably quite wealthy. Certainly, both of the houses would be in Capernaum. Now, it's significant that Jesus is sharing a meal with a tax collector because in that culture, sharing a meal with someone indicated that you accepted them. And in particular for the Jews, if you had dinner with someone, if you ate with them, it indicated that you believed the other person to be part of God's covenant. You would only uh, sit with someone if you thought that they were in covenant fellowship with you. So the fact that Jesus is doing this with the tax collector shows that he's come to bring a new covenant where the old walls between sinner and pure are not the same as they were in the Old Covenant. Matthew says, so Matthew is the one that's writing this story, and he was there himself, so he would know what happened. He says in verse 10, It happened that a number of tax collectors and sinners came to sit at the table with Jesus and his disciples. So in this case, we have some of Jesus' disciples there, and some other tax collectors and sinners. And probably some of Jesus' disciples were tax collectors and sinners by this point, because we know that these are the kind of people that he's starting to attract. Now, that term here, sinners, it's a generic Jewish term for those who are known to be doing something the Jews don't approve of. So prostitutes, robbers, tax collectors were all just called sinners. That was a Jewish way of describing them. Now, it was quite common in that culture to have lots of people at your house for dinner, so families would work together to prepare it, and if it's at Matthew's house, he's probably got a lot of servants that are helping him prepare the dinner. Verse 11, when the Pharisees saw this, now the other Gospels tell us that these are actually scribes, so it's the theologically trained or the most theological elite of the Pharisees, the experts. They're experts in the Old Testament in particular. So they say to Jesus' disciples, notice they ask his disciples, not Jesus directly, why does your master eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, this is probably a genuine question. They actually want to know. It doesn't make sense to them. Their line of thinking is probably this. If Jesus is indeed sent by God, why does he associate with sinners? He's obviously not a very good teacher. And that phrase there, think about it. Why does he eat? Remember, that basically means, why does he have fellowship with them? Why does he accept them? Verse 12, when Jesus heard this, he replied, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. So Jesus hears their question, which wasn't actually directed at him, but he hears the question and he responds, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. And he's going to explain to us what he means by that. 
But first he says this to them in verse 13, go and learn the meaning of the words. Now that's quite a scathing remark from Jesus because he's basically saying to the Pharisees, go and learn what this Old Testament phrase means. He's telling them, the scribes, the experts in the Old Testament, that they don't really know their Old Testament that well. And this is what he quotes to them. What I want is mercy, not sacrifice, or I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This is a quote from Hosea, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and it's God speaking. God in that passage says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The context of this is really important. So in Hosea, the Israelites were living very sinful lives, and they were trying to cover up their sin with acts of external piety, like temple sacrifices. And those sacrifices are only pleasing to God in the Old Testament when coupled with covenant love and faithfulness. But of course, the Israelites were not living the way God wanted them to, so their sacrifices were not pleasing to him. And Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew, is constantly pointing out how the Pharisees focus on small aspects of the law, but they've neglected the weightier matters of the law. And this is an example of that. What the Pharisees didn't realize is some laws in the Old Testament are more important than others and more closely correspond to God's will. And this is something that we unpack in Matthew chapter 23 in particular. It's a very key passage, Matthew 23, where Jesus really gets very specific about what his issue with the Pharisees is. And it turns out that that's because they don't really interpret God's law properly. They don't realize that some laws are more important than others. Now, this quote from Hosea chapter 6, it's very clear that God expects his people to show mercy to others. And in fact, God here says that showing mercy is more important than mere ritual purity. This is something the Pharisees had forgotten. And in this particular situation, the Pharisees have got it completely backwards. The Pharisees here are more concerned with Jesus as a Jewish teacher needing to separate himself from sinners particularly in terms of table fellowship. They're really concerned that he gets the external external purity right, but they've placed that as more important than showing mercy to sinners. Whereas from God's perspective, even in the Old Testament, God repeatedly says it's more important to show mercy than to do sacrifice and purity laws. And so Jesus finishes this by saying to them, indeed, I did not come to call the virtuous, but sinners. And that can be translated righteous. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus here tells us his whole mission is to get those who have wandered far from God to come back to him. And it's important that we think about what what the implications of this phrase is. I did not come to call the virtuous, but sinners. That implies that there are some virtuous people in the time of Jesus. There are some righteous people. You might hear some Christians say that no one was living up to God's law. No one was considered to be righteous in God's eyes before Jesus came. That's not quite correct. It might be true that people struggled to fulfill the law perfectly. But I think the implication of various sayings of Jesus is that some people were right in God's eyes by the time of Jesus. And Jesus has not primarily come for them. He has come for those who have turned from God. And that applies today as well. If you think about the prodigal son in particular, the parable of the prodigal son, the older brother, the whole point of the older brother is that he is someone who's already in God's favor, whereas the younger brother falls out of God's favor. So the Messiah has come for those who have fallen out of God's favor, who have wandered from him. And notice that Jesus has come to call the sinners to something, repentance. It's not just he's inviting them to hang out with him. He's inviting them to repentance. That's what entering the kingdom requires, as we see elsewhere in the Gospels. 
So that's the end of today's passage, the call of Matthew, and it's quite fascinating hearing Matthew himself, he's the author of this gospel, narrate his initial encounter with Jesus. If you want to hear the next section, the next section is read on Saturday of week 13 in Ordinary Time. Let's now turn to the Catechism to see what it has to say about this passage, and most of these will be quite familiar. So paragraph 581, which is about Jesus and the law. The Jewish people and their spiritual leaders viewed Jesus as a rabbi. He often argued within the framework of rabbinical interpretation of the law. Yet Jesus could not help but offend the teachers of the law, for he was not content to propose his interpretation alongside theirs, but taught the people as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And then the passage goes on from there to talk about how Jesus' interpretation of the law contrasts with the Pharisees' interpretation. Paragraph 589 says that Jesus gave scandal above all when he identified his merciful conduct towards sinners with God's own attitude towards them. He went so far as to hint that by sharing the table of sinners, he was admitting them to the messianic banquet. So here is a really good example. He's actually admitting, well, he's eating with sinners, and that's a sign that he's allowing them into the greater messianic banquet, which is to come in the kingdom of God. And then lastly, paragraph 2100, this is a really interesting one. It's about the virtue of sacrifice. Outward sacrifice, to be genuine, must be the expression of spiritual sacrifice. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit. The prophets of the Old Covenant often denounced sacrifices that were not from the heart or not coupled with the love of neighbor. Jesus recalls the words of the prophet Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So there the Catechism quotes from the passage we've heard today. Really interesting application there. And we need to keep that, keep that in mind too. Our sacrifices and external acts that we do are only worth something to God if we couple it with the interior dispositions that God wants of Christians. So thanks for listening today. If you're enjoying this podcast, can I please ask you to prayerfully consider becoming a supporter of the ministry Uh, It only grows, it's only able to do what it does through your support. There's no other ministries or anything that support it. It all depends entirely on listener support. So you who are listening, you can determine how much we can do with this ministry and how far it can reach. And so I'd ask you to prayerfully consider becoming a Patreon supporter of the ministry. There's a link for that in the show notes. Even just $5 or $10 a month helps go a long way, cover the basic costs of the ministry and helps plan Uh, for future projects and things that we can do. It is a small ministry, so um, we do need your support. And if you're enjoying these exegesis episodes and you want to hear an exegesis of the entire Gospels, you won't be able to do that by listening to um, the normal podcast episodes. You'll get to hear most of the Gospels, but there's about 15 or 20% of the Gospels which is never read as part of the liturgical calendar. But you can get access to the entire Gospels an exegesis verse by verse of all four of the Gospels, every single passage, if you become a Patreon supporter and you're willing to give at least $10 a month, then you can get access to all the bonus episodes and pretty soon you will have heard an exegesis of all four Gospels, every single verse. And that's something that's really exciting and a lot of people are benefiting from that. So if you enjoy this ministry, if you believe it's worth supporting, uh, then please consider becoming a financial supporter. Thanks so much for your support and we'll continue in the Gospels in the coming days. 